here on the wwe podcast on this friday march 25th as we are back today with an episode of rivalries that isn't covering a rivalry and as you know i've done this several times in the past where i cover the careers of certain guys kurt angle braun Strowman, shane mcmahon are the ones i have done today but this one Today, we'll be covering the career of one of the best of all time, subjectively on my route, Mount Rushmore. I think you can make the cases the best heel of all time, although I'm sure I've got a bit of pushback on that. And that's Triple H. And I'm sure as many of you know, if not all of you know by now, as the news came out earlier today, that Triple H announced his retirement from in-ring competition. And, you know, citing the issues he had with his heart, I believe it was last year, and he said that he actually was experiencing heart failure. Luckily, as far as I know, he's all good now, but uh, he has a defibrillator in his chest, if I'm not mistaken, and for obvious reasons, he does not feel comfortable to get back in the ring, and you know what, nobody can blame him. You know, he's a father of three girls. I think he said they were all in their teens. And uh, he's calling it quits as far as in-ring competition goes. And it's kind of a sad day. And I'm sure you can kind of hear it in my voice that my tone isn't as maybe as upbeat as usual. Because Triple H is a guy, for me, that arguably had the biggest impact in my life as a wrestling fan and that will probably come as a shock to many of you because I've gone on here you know half a dozen billion times and said that The Rock is my favorite and I've covered The Rock's rivalries a bunch and you know programs he's been in I always seem to find a way to come back to The Rock but if we're being honest or if I'm being honest with you guys rather I don't think I watched any wrestler more in my life than Triple H. Because by the time that I was old enough to really know what was going on, I would say around 2002-2003 is basically when I got to that age, when I got to be 8-9 years old, where I was really able to absorb everything that was happening and understand the storylines and all that. The Rock was on his way out. You know, by 2003, by the summer of 2003, when I turned nine years old, and obviously in the summer was the time that I didn't have to go to bed early uh, for school the next day, summer vacation, so I was able to stay up and watch um, all the Monday Night Raws and Smackdowns when I could, although 
getting SmackDown in Canada in the early 2000s was a bit of a hassle. Um, it wasn't as easy as just throwing on UPN. I believe it was originally on, was it OLN or, <coughs> pardon me, the score or whatnot. But, uh, you know, Triple H was the constant as I really started watching wrestling religiously and being able to absorb everything that was going on. When I started watching it, let's say around when I was five years old, 1999, I guess, The Rock was there, and he instantly became my favorite. But like I just said, I didn't really know what was happening on a week-to-week basis. When I was able to watch it, if I was at my dad's and he would let me stay up late, or if it happened to be during the summer, or I had a school ped day the next day, I would be able to just pop in and just watch whatever the storyline was. But by the time I was able to really watch it week-to-week and absorb everything... And the storyline correlation, The Rock was on gone, and Triple H was the constant. And that stayed true right up until, I would say, 2017 or so, 2018. Like, Triple H stuck around for a while, man, as a semi-regular character, whether that be, you know, as the world champion in D-Generation X, as the authority figure... But before we break everything down like that all over the place, we'll kind of go back to the start. And look, Triple H has had such a storied career, 25 years plus, that I won't be able to touch on everything in the confines of a 30 to 40 minute podcast. But we're just going to try and hit on the big ones and, you know, more so what he meant to me. I know probably guys are going to be like, oh, who cares what he meant to you? But I, I think... The most authentic review I could give you is through the most important moments in my wrestling fandom that Triple H was involved in. And, you know, you you go back to Triple H debuting in the mid-90s as Hunter Hearst Helmsley coming over from WCW. And he obviously took a while to work his way up the ranks. You know, being involved in the current call did not help his uh, his case whatsoever. You know, he was supposed to win the 1997 King of the Ring. And because of his involvement in the curtain call, he wasn't able to succeed and fulfill those original plans. So he was able to be reinvented a bit as a member of Degeneration X under kind of the learning tree of Shawn Michaels. And when Shawn Michaels walked away from the company in 1998, it allowed Triple H to kind of blaze his own trail, you know, step out of the shadow of HBK, who had been one of, if not the faces of the company for the better part of four or five years. And obviously he brings in the New Age Outlaws. He brings in X-Pac to form the new version of Degeneration X. And he had some classics, you know. I would say the the first notable Triple H match was against The Rock at SummerSlam two, uh, 1998 in a ladder match for the Intercontinental Championship, a match that he would retain the champion, or he would win. Yeah, he would win the Intercontinental Championship away from The Rock. And, you know, he and The Rock... And I know you guys are saying, oh, there he goes again, tying it back into The Rock. 
he and The Rock really bounced off each other well. It wasn't so much like Rock and Austin or Triple H and HBK, but these two were very good secondary rivals. And I really thought that in the mid-2010s that they were going to collide at least one more time. They really set the seeds for it, or planted the seeds rather for it, at WrestleMania 31 with the debut of Ronda Rousey in a WWE ring. Ultimately, I believe that The Rock's filming and Hollywood schedule got in the way of that, and it was ultimately Kurt Angle who tagged with Ronda Rousey against Triple H and Stephanie McMahon at WrestleMania 34 in 2018. But in the early and mid and even kind of later years, or I would say the middle years of the Attitude Era, The Rock and Triple H would always cross paths, and we first saw it in 1998, feuding over the Intercontinental Championship with the Nation of Domination and the Generation X kind of going head-to-head. As we moved into 1999, Triple H kind of became part of the corporate ministry, getting more exposure, I think, to the main event, as uh, he was kind of playing second fiddle to The Undertaker in that faction in terms of uh, how competitors went. And it was really in 1999 when post-corporate ministry and kind of post-Degeneration X where Triple H was kind of able to blaze his own trail. And the first big moment that I could recall of Triple H came in the main event of the first ever SmackDown. Oh, no. 
So Triple H, three days after winning his first ever WWF championship, retains against The Rock with the help of Shane McMahon on the outside and the commissioner, Shawn Michaels at that time, who obviously helped one of his best friends retain the championship by super kicking The Rock. And this was the beginning of an era for Triple H because shortly thereafter, Uh, Stone Cold got sidelined with his neck injury. And Stone Cold's injury really opened the door for Triple H. In a way that The Rock was taking Austin's place and Triple H was taking The Rock's place. Because for, I would say, about 10 months or so, you had Austin as the dominant babyface in the WWF and the rock as the dominant heel in the WWF. But by the summer of 1998 or 1999, rather the people, no pun intended, were ready to cheer the rock. The rock had gotten over as a baby face, but he could never really push through with Austin there in terms of being the man And when Austin's injury came to be, it allowed The Rock to step in as the main event level babyface. And Triple H filled the void that was left by The Rock as the main event level heel. Because you also have to, to realize The Undertaker was out with injury at this point in time as well. So you had No Taker, who was one of the bigger heels in early to mid 1999 as well. And No Austin who was the biggest babyface, arguably, of all time. And, you know, you never like to see people benefit from others' injuries or others' miscomings, but this is exactly what it was when it came to The Rock, and more specifically, Triple H. Because I think The Rock was so over that he was going to push through no matter what. Maybe he wouldn't have found as much success as he did, but The Rock was going to be a main event level star no matter what. Triple H needed that chance because he was buried behind Austin. He was buried behind Rock. He was buried behind The Undertaker. And at this point, you could even make the case that he was buried behind Mankind, the guy who he defeated to win his first ever WWF championship. And speaking of Mankind, a.k.a. Mick Foley, that was the program, to me, that really got Triple H over. And it's a theme, right? Mick Foley feuding with young, up-and-coming guys to get them over. He did it with The Rock in early 1999. He did it with Triple H in late 99, early 2000. He would later on do it with Randy Orton in 2003. 
He did it with Edge in 2006. Mick Foley was always that guy that would come in and put guys over the young up-and-coming talents. And Triple H was one of the beneficiaries of that during this time. Because Triple H would lose the belt, regain it back in late 99, and have a series of matches with Mick Foley that really put him on the map. I remember their main their main event match at the Royal Rumble 2000 in the street fight, uh, giving Mick Foley the pedigree onto the thumbtacks. Their match at No Way Out in 2000. And then ultimately, the main event of WrestleMania 16, a.k.a. WrestleMania 2000. The fatal four-way match between Triple H, The Rock, Mick Foley, and The Big Show. A match that Triple H would walk out as the WWF champion. And, you know, in hindsight, it probably should have been Rock versus Triple H one-on-one for the WWF championship. But, you know, I think that they wanted to load up that main event because WrestleMania 2000 wasn't as star-studded as the other ones, especially the one that succeeded that uh, the following year, WrestleMania 2001, uh, WrestleMania 17 at the Houston Astrodome. But the year 2000 was the year of The Rock, but it was also kind of the year of Triple H because it was the year that Triple H cemented himself as a top-flight, true-level main event heel in the WWF. His on and off program with The Rock, then he transitioned to the program with Kurt Angle when Kurt Angle was in love with Stephanie McMahon. It was the year that I think Triple H proved to everyone that he was here to stay at the top of the card. Even when Stone Cold Steve Austin would return in late 2000, 2000. they have a series of matches ultimately culminating at the three stages of hell match at no way out 2001 a match that triple h would actually win and that was a big cementing moment for triple h as a main eventer you know winning you know in quotation marks i guess the program against the biggest star that the industry had to offer at the go home pay-per-view before wrestlemania 17 a WrestleMania that would ultimately turn into the biggest WrestleMania of all time. And Triple H goes into WrestleMania 17 on the heels of a victory over Stone Cold Steve Austin and collides with The Undertaker for the first time of what would eventually become a trifecta of matches at WrestleMania, obviously losing out in that contest as he would with the other two that would follow it. But... Triple H now comes out of WrestleMania 17. He's about 18, 19 months into a full-scale main event push as a heel. Um, Three or four-time WWF champion at this point. Defeating Stone Cold Steve Austin under his resume. Walking out at WrestleMania as champion under his resume over the last 18 months. You know, by the time the post-WrestleMania 17 era came about, Triple H was a made man already, in my opinion. You know, it was Rock, it was Austin, then right under them it was Taker and it was Triple H. 
he forms the two-man power trip alliance with Stone Cold Steve Austin. They go on a pretty damn good run for about a month or two. And then he blows out his quads. And Triple H would miss the rest of 2001 and would miss the entire invasion angle. Something that we don't really talk about all that much. The fact that Triple H, arguably the most through and through WWE, WWF guy there is, missing the entire invasion angle. But when he returned, it was something to be seen because it was the first time you would ever see Triple H really come back to a standing ovation. Because we had come to know Triple H as a main eventer exclusively as a heel. He had been exclusively as a heel for what felt like three, four, five years at this point. You know, he made, he cemented himself as a heel during his initial run in 99 when he married Stephanie McMahon and had the match with Vince at, I believe it was Armageddon 1999. And then it turned out that Stephanie McMahon was in cahoots with him all along. And then since then, he just, just kept on snowballing, kept on snowballing right through the McMahon-Helmsley regime, right through the two-man power trip and all that. But when he returned in January of 2002, he got an ovation of a true baby face. So, Triple H coming out to an ovation like that was not something you were accustomed to, right? Especially being used to him through 2000 and 1999 and all those years. But when he came out to this kind of ovation, it made you realize that Triple H was beloved. He was just super over as a heel, and this run for Triple H in early 2002, I think was so, so important because it proved that he could be the babyface. 
he could have that main event moment as a babyface and be have the crowd behind him and be over. He goes on to win the 2002 Royal Rumble, goes on to defeat Chris Jericho for the Undisputed Championship and main event WrestleMania 18 in Toronto at the Sky Dome. And I think that every competitor at one point or another in WWE has to have that over-the-top babyface moment where the crowd is fully behind you and you are fully over to know that you've reached the top. Because I think it's just so much easier to get over as a heel. And this is not to say that it's easy to be a good heel. It's not. I think that a good heel, good true heel heat is a lost art nowadays. But I think it is much easier to be hated than it is to be loved. And I mean, a good example of that is The Miz. A guy who has literally lasted and stood the test of time because he is so easily disliked and he's a good respectable mid card level heel but he never worked as a babyface and to me that shows a restriction of a competitor triple h is a guy that proved time and time and time again that he had no restrictions he could be a beloved babyface but he was just a better heel arguably the best of all time and that's why by mid 2002 they went back to the well and turned him back heel to go up against Shawn Michaels because he was just such a better heel he got it he knew exactly how to work the crowd fantastic on the mic and as we moved into the later part of 2002 and early 2003 he becomes the first ever world heavyweight champion. He loses that ti- that title in the first ever chamber match to Shawn Michaels, regains it at the following pay-per-view in the three stages of hell match. You know, Triple H was the face of Monday Night Raw in the early part of the Ruthless Aggression era, which is what we are getting into in late 2002, early 2003. And this is referred to often by fans as the reign of terror but I've always disagreed with that fairly vehemently because I think that Triple H carried the company on his back during this era between The Rock and Austin and Cena, Orton and Batista and you could make the case that there was also Angle who helped do that, Taker helped do that but I don't think anyone was as prominent a figure and as legitimate as a main eventer as Triple H because he was the guy that stuck around through it all. And it seemed like from early 2002 until mid-2005, he was always there. He was on every pay-per-view. He was on every Monday Night Raw. He was main eventing shows, left, right, and center. And you could say like, oh, well, that's why we presented him, this, that, and the other thing. You look at the card back at that time, especially over on Monday Night Raw, when you consider that Shawn Michaels did not want to be a main eventer at that time, and the other cast of characters, they tried the old WCW guys, you know, Goldberg worked well for a cup of coffee, but he burnt out quick, Scott Steiner was a flop, Kevin Nash didn't really work, Booker T, I know everyone will disagree with me, but he wasn't ready for that. I think Triple H did a hell of a job 
during the ruthless aggression era carrying this on his back and you know what as soon as there was a worthy guy to take that belt off of him and carry monday night raw into the next century or into the next era next century i'm exaggerating a bit he did that and he stepped aside he dropped the belt to um batista at wrestlemania 21 in the main event and to be fair he did that to benoit at wrestlemania 20 but he regained the championship about six months later after the botched babyface run of Randy Orton in the summer of 2004. But when Batista shot up the ranks and broke through that glass ceiling and it was clear that he was ready for prime time and later on John Cena would get moved over to Monday Night Raw in the summer of 2005, Triple H stepped aside. Triple H no longer had to be the guy to carry the that brand on his back i won't see it say the company because guys over on smackdown deserve their credit as well most notably kurt angle undertaker those types of guys later on batista but raw was the brand that he really stepped up with and carried for about three years or so and he would get back into the championship picture the wwe championship picture a title that he had not held for about four years when he finally stepped up to John Cena. And this is when everything kind of came full circle, at least for me, for Triple H. Because that promo he had with John Cena leading into WrestleMania 22 when he was the heel and Cena was the babyface really showed how the crowd felt about Triple H. And I remember JR trying to sell it as, you know, the old school versus the new school. But no, that was just people loving the legacy star and admiring and appreciating just how good Triple H was while kind of simultaneously rejecting the John Cena character. He would not win the championship at WrestleMania 22, and shortly thereafter, he would form Degeneration X or reform Degeneration X with HBK. And they would have a good run that took them into early 2007. He would get injured again and return later that year to face off against Booker T at SummerSlam. And when he returned, you had Triple H transition into a full-time babyface for the later years, and I use that term very loosely, of Ruthless Aggression as it transitioned into the PG era. He would really become a legacy star, a full-time babyface, He would have the on and off program with uh, Randy Orton right through 2008 and 2009. Um, He would win the championship, the WWE championship, that is, three more times. And, you know, he was in five consecutive world championship matches at um, WrestleMania from 2002 to 2006. He would miss WrestleMania 27 or WrestleMania 23 in 2007. And then for the next two WrestleManias, he would be back in the WWE Championship picture in both of those. Um, In 2000, at WrestleMania 24, he was in the triple threat match with Cena and Orton for the WWE Championship. And then he would main event WrestleMania 25 with Randy Orton one-on-one for the WWE Championship, a match that he would retain the title. And this is kind of when his main event 
run being in the championship picture would kind of start to come down a bit. WrestleMania 26, he he has the match against Sheamus in the grudge match, a program that kind of put Sheamus over. As remember, Sheamus was kind of Triple H's prep pet project. You would have him versus The Undertaker at WrestleMania 27, him versus Undertaker end of an era match, WrestleMania 28, then WrestleMania 29. At this point, you know, 2010, 2000, no, 2011, 2012, he transitions fully into the authority figure. Still a babyface, though. And this takes him right into 2013 when he returns after having his arm broken by Brock Lesnar, faces Brock at WrestleMania 29 in the No Holds Barred match, and defeats Brock. And then in 2013, at SummerSlam, we get the dawn of the heel authority version of Triple H. This would start, I would say, about a four, five-year run as the final version of Triple H we would come to know. The best, you know, I guess, facsimile to Vince McMahon, the, the peak heel Vince McMahon, that Triple H would kind of be a regular on television all the way up until 2017, 2018. Because after that, he would always come back as the classic Triple H or as Degeneration X or the King of Kings. You know, when he came back for Batista, it was the same gimmick. When he came back against Orton at the Super Showdown, it was his nostalgia gimmick. This was the final version of himself that we would come to know on a semi-regular basis. 
And I really liked it. I know a lot of people hated the era of the authority and it kind of is the reason why everyone is so resistant to any type of GM figure. But I'm not going to lie, I enjoyed it. I thought that Triple H on close to every Monday Night Raw legitimized the show. It made it feel important. I'm one of those suckers that feels that the show is always better off when a McMahon or the member of the McMahon family is on television. And I thought that the product was better. I'll be straight honest. Uh, I thought it was better when Triple H, and even at times Stephanie, but to a far lesser extent, uh, was on the television, you know, in the mid to later 2010s. And, you know, he would go on to WrestleMania 30 in 2014, help propel the Yes movement, one of the more historic moments in WrestleMania history. WrestleMania 31, he squares off against Sting, a match he probably should have lost, but he goes over. WrestleMania 32 is one that I kind of have an issue with. Matt and I have talked about ad nauseum that he should have went head-to-head with his brother-in-law, Shane McMahon, but he actually walks in as the WWE champion, his final world championship of 14 victories in his career, as he won the belt at the Royal Rumble in 2016. And I get why they did it. They were trying to get Roman over uh, as a baby face. Obviously, that didn't work. And they were down Randy Orton. They were down John Cena. They were down Seth Rollins. I understand that they didn't have... They had slim pickings. But I still, to this day, disagree. The main event should have been Roman Reigns versus Dean Ambrose and Triple H versus Shane McMahon. Then in later 2016, early 2017, that's when we started to see Triple H less and less on the programming when they brought back the brand split. When he does return, it's to start the build with Seth Rollins to WrestleMania 33, a match that he would ultimately lose to the Kingslayer. And then when he returns in later 2017 and early 2018, it builds to him versus Ronda Rousey and Kurt Angle teaming with his wife, Stephanie McMahon, and they lose that match as well. A match that had kind of been in the making for about three years when it was started at WrestleMania 31 with The Rock. And after this is when you really stop seeing new versions of Triple H, kind of going back to the well with the nostalgic version of himself, obviously builds to his match with Batista at WrestleMania 35. Batista's final match, ultimately his retirement match. And Triple H's final in-ring competition would actually come in early 2020 on a match again versus Randy Orton that was a no contest if I'm not mistaken and the last match that came with a decision was him losing out to Randy Orton at the Super Showdown in 2019 so either way you cut it his final loss and his final match were both to Randy Orton Uh, I think that's a fitting way to go out, given the history that him and Orton had as members of Evolution. I didn't even really touch on that, but the impacts that he had with Evolution alone during the Ruthless Aggression era as they kind of dominated the programming on Raw for the better part of 03 and half of 2004 at least, arguably one of the best factions, if not the best faction of all time, And you made two superstar legends out of it in Batista and Randy Orton with the help of the guidance of Triple H and Ric Flair. 
Uh, they would come back a bit to square off against the Shield in 2014. Like I said, there's just so much that you could talk about with Triple H's career. I could be here easily for another two hours if I so chose. But all in all, now that it's a wrap, I think we could objectively say that he's a top 10 competitor in the history of the company a 14-time world champion a grand slam champion a guy who made it as a top level babyface, a guy who made it as top level heel a guy that made it as a one of the more notable authority figures in recent memory um the best the closest to a vince mcmahon will ever get again and i hope he sticks around in some capacity on screen he's a great talker he's excellent on the mic He's done fantastic work with NXT. Um, I didn't even really touch on NXT, but like, obviously, he doesn't have as big a hand in it as he does as you know anymore. But what he did with NXT for the first 10, 11 years of its existence is an invaluable, and uh, he will be missed as an in-ring performer. But you just have to hope that he will continue to have some form of a presence behind the scenes. And hopefully he will still be an on-screen character to some point. You know, even if he came back as the Raw GM, Raw Commissioner, what have you, I think that would be just incredible to have him in that capacity. Because he is a legend. For me, he's on my Mount Rushmore, bar none. I know that's completely subjective, but uh, Triple H was a big part of my fandom early on. And I, um, I'll miss him. Uh, so I just want to say, you know, thank you, Triple H. You played a massive role uh, during the Ruthless Aggression Era, the Attitude Era, PG Era, Reality Era, Recent Era, whatever era. He's someone who stood the test of time, and he truly is one of the guys who, the last of that generation, and he's performed at a high level right to the end. He wasn't someone who overstayed his welcome in the ring, and uh, he's a guy that will be missed. So thank you, Triple H. Take a bow and enjoy retirement. Thanks for listening to the WWE Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a show or head to wwepodcast.com. And for all of these shows ad-free, head over to patreon.com slash WWE Podcast. Until then, we'll see you next time.